It is Tour Live. It's Neil Atkinson with Dan Morgan, Sean Rogers, and Steve looking ahead to a fantastic weekend where Liverpool don't play, and then a Monday night where Liverpool do play against Crystal Palace, the game that has been unbelievably long awaited at this stage of proceedings. On Tour Live coming up, you've got Hugh McTeer on Barcelona, Paul Gorst on the manager in the press conference today, which is also where we'll start as well. And we'll sum it all up by looking directly at the Palace game, getting some predictions and going from there. But I thought that the manager's press conference may be interesting to and it most definitely was and Dan Morgan he was spiky to say the least I mean I obviously love all that uh, he doesn't like a daft question he doesn't like it I think when they try to throw him a ball so they can put him in a compilation of what other managers think uh, and saying that that's what they were trying to do about 30 years of the Premier League if there's a way you want to put him in a bad mood do that sort of thing and my god they achieved it it was spiky, wasn't it? I wonder whether it was the half nine thing. I wonder whether he's a bit of a late starter. I'll be honest, he chose the time. <laughs> and I also I don't know whether I can get on board with uh, anyone in the world being mean to Alan Irvin, to be honest. He's, uh, <laughs> as we as as we mean, you know Neil from our city talk days, he's probably one of the nicest fellas you can ever meet. So. Lovely man, great time. I mean, at the minute he oh, must be tremendous. absolutely resplendent in this heat. <laughs> tremendous man. Um so it's, it's, it was a bit like sort of getting asked which one of your parents is uh, the favourite. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, but yeah, he was. He was. Um, I mean, he was looking resplendent in his uh, in his white and grey jacket. I was all in on that. But um, but I think I think there's a culmination of things here. I think I think the time between games isn't helping uh, in the sense that there's there's clear frustration uh, around the results at Fulham, and I think that I think that knowing this team the way we do, they'll, they'll have wanted to put that right straight away. Yeah, you know, I think if they could have played on Sunday, they would have done. Um, and I think, you know, it's amazing, isn't it, in football, just just how much wins clear the mindsets of everyone, really. And I think it just could have done with everyone to have something midweek that would have constituted some form of win to keep, um, yeah, to keep the walls from the door, if you like, from uh, from Jude Bellingham chat, etc. So I think, I think he picks up on that. Uh, you know, as much as he says he doesn't and as much as he says it doesn't impact him, he's clearly... He's clearly irritated by some of the narrative around Liverpool's um, projected need for a midfielder. Uh, and, and, and I think he sees that as an insult to his squad and his boys and his players who've amassed 90 points uh, over a league season in, on three separate occasions now. So, yeah, I, 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 I as ever stand with him on that and I ever, as I ever stand with him on, on the fact that, you know, if he thinks what's good enough, what's in front of him is good enough than it is because, you know, he's, he's been a better judge of character than any of us have over the last seven years. And I think he'll continue to do so. He finds himself, Sean, uh, by the way, if you are listening to this as a podcast and not seeing it as a video, as a live, Sean has come as Onslow, uh, one for the teenagers there. Uh, in, well, I'd, I'd say Onslow like Club Tropicana. Yeah, Club <laughs> Tropicana. Onslow's like a white vest. I think I'm sort of Onslow in wham. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely funky as anything. Wham, also one for the teenagers. Uh, and also the topic of the show. He finds himself, Sean, it's... Um, <laughs> He goes out of his way. He finds himself in a better position than I do right now. Well, yes. Uh, different solutions to the injury. But what I think is interesting is he goes out of his way to say if there was a player that they, they, that they, they wanted, it would already be done. And I think that that's sort of been his message, I think, now for a month around the idea of one more, a midfielder, etc. They clearly were very interested in Shuameni. It doesn't happen. And then it is... He likes what he's got. And I think, you know, at some point we've got to make our peace with that. I'm using we in a very broad sense there, as Dan says. You know, I think he he doesn't feel the missing a specific type of midfielder. He goes out of his way to say it. 
that's where he is. That's the way the manager he is at the moment. That's the way he views his players. And I think that if people disagree with that, that's all right. It's all right to disagree with that, but you're then disagreeing with him. And as long as you're comfortable disagreeing with him, then that's that, that's a fair place to be. But that's what's happening here, isn't it, with midfield? Yeah, completely. And people are assuming that if he brings, let's say, one in, well, no, but firstly, you'd have had to do more business than that anyway, in terms of outgoings. And secondly... If he'd have brought one in, why is everyone assuming that they would just hit the ground running anyway in terms of form? And then you've got fitness when the thing that everyone forgets about the context of our midfield is our midfield is probably the worst midfield to play in in the league, if not Europe, because of what we ask them to do from a system point of view. So it, 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 we've seen how much it takes people to get used to that system. And you only have to look at the Genie Wijnaldum example, if you like, of, of, of what we got him doing and it worked for us and worked for him and how difficult that is to factor in both when they if, if they're elsewhere like if you watch Zuni Wijnaldum at PSG you might not necessarily say he's the midfielder that we would need it, 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 it. and at Newcastle like we had him doing a we had a completely different idea for what he wants to do and the other thing for Klopp is if you're going to bring someone in it needs to be an absolute worldie also because of the culture of the dressing room because Elliot Curtis Jones Maybe even Naby Keita, you know, plays 19 games last year, like you've referenced before, Neil. Like, it wasn't 35, it was 19, which suggests to me with his availability, the manager's not as sure from a consistent level. I think he knows that he can hit the highs, but from a I-know-what-I'm-getting point of view, I don't think he's sure. So if you were to bring other people in, I think he's got to make a decision on those players earlier, and I genuinely don't think he wants to. I think he's got next summer in mind to say, I want to see how these players progress for another year. And then I will actually really know for certain which ones of them I can keep. And we know how many we then need. And I think Liverpool are working towards doing two or three next year. If they could have brought one of them forward, they obviously would. But if you can't, you can't. Like, it's not even a discussion, is it? Well, that, and that, that, what he's trying to say, I think, Steve, is that it isn't, you know, he doesn't see it as a discussion. He says that they've cut that discussion off now. They've cut it short at the start of the press conference because they couldn't get what they wanted and they've decided that they're going to move on with, with where they are. He, he says, you know, he goes out of his way to say that he's not stubborn. And I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I think some people firstly simultaneously think that he is stubborn, but also at times think that he's too nice. And I'm not quite sure how you square that particular circle. But he ends up in a position where I think he feels like he couldn't have been clearer on. He doesn't believe they're missing a specific type of midfielder on the one hand. And on the other hand, that everyone is ready to make the next step of their development. And I think it was, a re- for me, it just seemed like a real, not quite a blast, but yet again, him sort of reinforcing what he was saying at the start of July, which is that he likes these footballers mm-hmm. and... In the end, like every manager, he'll live and die by his players, but he's very, very clear, even off the back of last weekend against Fulham, that these are the players that he wants, that he is happy with these players, and he feels as though these players will do what he needs them to do. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know how clock works now, then, you know, the following Liverpool probably isn't for yourself, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, you know, he backs his players 100%. These are the players he brought in. These are the players he's bringing through from the 23s, and he has complete faith in, in the players he's, he's got in his squad. So, um, you know, he's shown in the past he's just not willing to compromise on any transfer targets that are going to come in, whether that be because they're going to come in and take an unnecessary space in the squad and once everyone else is fit, they're not going to get much game time and you've got someone moping around the changing room who's not going to play. Uh, and also, you're going to, you know, as, as, as you said before, you're going to you're going to hinder the pathways of Harvey Elliott, go Carvalho's come in, Curtis Jones, and anyone else who he thinks has got a really good chance. You know, he deserves, I see it on Twitter before, which was a, which was a really good shout, and he said, you know, 
But he said to Arnold, if we hadn't bought a right back, when you know, if we bought another right back in when Trent Alexander Arnold came in instead of and gave out Trent, Trent again, would would he be the player that he is today? You know, this is this is the kind of, of person that he is. He wants to give these young players a chance, and he, he's you know, he's um, determined to, to make sure their pathway isn't blocked any way, shape, or form, and to getting uh, given the opportunity to become a Liverpool first team player. It's interesting where he, he you know, Steve for me, he, he goes out of his way again to say eight or nine are in with a chance. He also, when he references the Fulham game, says, you know, he liked, loved Elliot, liked Milner's performance, mentions Henderson at a six. He mentions that Kaita's back as well. I think it's, again, I think everyone feels there's loads of games to go around or is quite happy to sort of make those games disappear. If we play 4-3-3 every game, there's 153 appearances if we make the Champions League final in the league and in the Premier League. They actually get eaten up quite quickly. Last season, they got eaten up in a, in a round where Naby Keita only got 19, where, you know, you can sort of go down the list... Oxlade-Chamberlain doesn't get as many as he might have hoped at the start of the season. Jones doesn't get as many as he'd like. Elliot got injured and was out for the bulk mm. of the season, never quite got himself right. The point here is that very quickly, those those games do disappear quicker than we think. And whilst I think we'd like the security blanket of one more, I think I would still plump on the side of if they could pull something out the bag, given what's likely to happen with Oxlade-Chamberlain and Milner at the very least next summer. Mm. I wouldn't be against it, but I'd feel like whatever lad you were bringing in, there's every chance you'd bring him in and he's only get 15 starts. Exactly that. You know, you, the people talk about um, Nunes from, from, from Sport and Lisbon bringing him in. He's, he's playing regular football over there. He's developing. He's going to play 30, 40 games for them and, and really come on as a footballer. You bring him into Liverpool and then all of a sudden, as you say, he could play 15 games. Once Thiago's back fit, once Henderson and, and to be another fan all cylinders, then he's not going to get near, anywhere near the game time that, that, he, that he should do that is going to hamper his, hamper his development. So, um, you know, he's determined to, to work with the tools of what he's got and you know, as you say, as I said before, no, no compromise not on targets. And then they, they obviously have a, a strategic plan of when they want to bring these players in. They obviously like Bellingham, but they don't want to bring him in too early again because the, the, you, you've got the difficult conversations well with someone like Jordan Henderson or someone like Thiago. Listen, you're, you're not going to play as much now because we paid 110 million pounds for this lad, and he needs to get game time. So um, I think I think he's doing it the right way. Yeah, you know, in an ideal world, we'd all love another one, another world to come in because we know. You know, we are going to have injuries, and there are some players in that midfield who aren't quite as reliable as others. So, uh, just in case that happens, but you can't bring someone in on a whim just in just in case something else happens further down the line. It's not fair not playing against us. But I thought the his response to the attitude questions was interesting, Dan. Where he was, what he, firstly he said he wasn't quite sure in his English whether he quite used the right word, which I thought was interesting. But the other thing that he did was he kept all the way through the press conference when he was referring to Fulham. He would almost physically gesture to his head, like he'd come back around to gesturing to his head again over and over, as though he felt, you know, there was an alertness thing. He refers to people waking up literally at different times. You know, he went out of his way to say he feels as though football's very different when you've got 50 starts behind you. He couldn't be more emphatic there. But I was I was intrigued by the extent to which he was, you know, whilst he was saying attitude might not have been quite right, he was very, very on top of the idea of, but it was something in people's heads that he felt as though wasn't quite where he wanted it to be. Yeah, there's, there is a small nuance to that. And, you know, even even us with English as a first language would would, would find it difficult to to almost find the difference between attitude in one sense and attitude in another so you know I don't think I think the what the point he wanted to get across was that attitude in, in the dressing room in general has never been and an, in his mind probably will never be questioned whilst he's at Liverpool and with this particular bunch because we know I always talked about them in the past we know what he thinks of them in general but for him there was just something in and around the build-up to that game which meant that they went out there and they weren't where they should have been and and I think 
I think it was interesting to say that, you know, he's had, I think he made the point to say we've had a lot of time to reflect and analyse and go over different things. You know, that won't just be tactical. They'll have been looking at when they arrived at Fulham, how much kip they had, you know, what time they got up, what they had for the breakfast. All of those things will have been taken into account, as well as the team meetings, as well as the, the analysis on the game itself. So I think he looked to me, he looked to me confident in that particular phrase of the press conference um, where he described it, that he'd found what he thought was the root of it. And Sean and I were speaking off air before about the interesting comments about the pitch being blocked in the centre of the, in, in central areas and not just by the players, he said, quite flippantly, which I thought was, was interesting and not sure what he referenced there. Sean said he thought it might be the referee. Um, I don't know. I'm not too sure. Um, but in general, I think I think he is. I think he is mindful. He's more more and more mindful of of when instances of of English not being his first language and his you know combined need to get a point across is something that he needs to reiterate and and clear up. And I think for that reason, I think the last thing he'd wanted to do was was to to have it come across that he was questioning the collective mindset of a dressing room because you know I think I think that sort of conversation now is reserved for the likes of Manchester United. Um, yeah. that that type of thing is is you know is is your Super Sunday chat for two hours after the R four game a week, you know let, let them have that. That's not something he wants to bring into Liverpool because it's it's completely not present and you can't get to where we've got by having that collective problem. I think it will just be more in the minutiae of what actually could we have done different to prepare for that game, whether that be a half twelve, whether it be anything else. Um, going forward, on the other point, just very quickly, you know, he, I think he was at his most spiky when he he had the point made to him about slow starts last season as well, and, and was was very adamant that you couldn't compare the two. And to a degree, you know, I, I completely take his point about having fifty games in the tank and you know having to just go blow for blow in a title race. But you know, we did a little bit of analysis for the review show on the Anfield Wrap, and we we can see that there's. There's a bit of a trend there, and he won't want to admit that. You know, he won't want to come out. The last thing he want to do is come out to a press conference and say, "Yeah, we think this is a bit of a problem." But I think behind the scenes, again, if they're looking at a more mid to long term focus on solutions, I think the last thing they'll want to do is is carry on with a trend where they go into games and, and they concede early and they're fighting from a point of being minus one. I think on that. Sean, correlation is not causation, let's be absolutely crystal clear from a Liverpool point of view. And I think even within that, the manager, there'd be fairness if he said, listen, you know, the way in which you're talking about this run of starts, Madrid is different to Fulham, Fulham is different to Southampton, Southampton is different to Villa. These are all different things that happen in game state, different things that happen within the games in that run. But it is fair to put the point to him. Uh, you know, I think that there's no getting away from that as far as I'm concerned. Liverpool have been starting these games a little bit behind. Liverpool have been starting these games perhaps a little bit slower than he might like. He can make the point that there's 55 games in the tank and it's very different going to Aston Villa midweek off the back of an intense game when you've then, you know, versus Fulham when there hasn't been one. And that's maybe important that he makes that point internally as well. There's no hiding places here, no excuses. But as far as I'm concerned, it is a valid question to put to him. It is one he does need to think about an answer for because we can't keep going 1-0 down. Yeah, I mean, it stood out because it was the, probably the only decent question in a, in the whole press conference. Uh, and, and in addition to that, look, it is a thing. I think it's potentially structurally as much as it is anything else that they do in preparation for the game. But quite rightly, Klopp cannot answer that question any differently. Under no circumstances can he say, do you know what, I think you're right. We've been working over the last nine games because we've spotted this and everything we try isn't working. 
no one's going to come out and say that. And I'd rather look foolish as a man, you know, <laughs> in issues. You've got to be prepared to look foolish and say things you don't necessarily believe in for the greater good. And um, like Dan said, there's enough clues in there to suggest that they have been looking at this clearly and they know that it's a thing. One of the biggest things, he, he seems to have um, really lost his frustration. He's been really frustrated and lost his temper in the game when he said, "When I, even when I watched it back, he knew. If you listen to his press conference, he says, the first pass we knock out, we do badly. The second one gets blocked and I'm thinking to myself, that's, in essence, that's the trigger. That's where we wake up and we change what we do. And I think the problem with this Liverpool, there's two problems I think this Liverpool team really need to address quickly. And one of them is that they start games on the basis that they're, that they're, they're playing it in peak performance mode. Like they're, they're on a tightrope. There's not much room, you know, for, for yeah. protection or otherwise. And the other thing that they do is they believe that it's going to change any second. They don't think that we need maybe 10 minutes to play our way back in perhaps they just think it's going to change and i think that's what he's referencing in the press conference that once it's gone wrong once once the, the build-up that he wants has gone wrong twice that's where we do need to go to plan b and the other thing if you if you look you know whisper it quietly like but nowhere near enough clean sheets um and we don't look structurally as tight as we should be we have the best collection of goalkeepers and defenders it certainly in this country and arguably across Europe, we have some of the hardest working and most tactically aware midfielders as well. Now the problem is we've got to chase down ninety, ninety-five, potentially a hundred points, and therefore I'm not questioning for one minute the strategy that they have to do that. What I am questioning though is I do think there are times in the games where they need to be a bit more pessimistic and structurally. I think we need to be a little bit more solid because if, if you go I, I, what he says about fatigue last year I don't think makes any sense because if you've done the, and that's why I don't think he's telling the truth in the press conference not for the first or last time when you've got a fatigue squad it's even more important to start fast because as Bob Paisley used to say you can move down the gears you ain't moving up them and you're certainly not moving up them when you're fatigued so the message would have been get out get out fast and win this game the last thing we need is to be chasing this game down fatigue because all we're going to do is be more fatigued next time around so yeah, I think it's a number of factors there. I'd like to see Liverpool being a bit more structurally solid. And like I say, I'd like to see us play our way into games in a, you know, a bit less risky, if you will. Okay, uh, this is Tour Live. We're going to build up to the game against Crystal Palace coming up uh, after you've heard, if you listen to this as a podcast, John Gibbons speak to you, McTeer and Paul Gorst. So more to come on Crystal Palace, more to come from Sean, from Dan and from Steve. Uh, but we will be back uh, after you, McTeer and Paul Gorst. And it is John Gibbons for Tour Live. And now joined uh, over Zoom by Spanish football expert Ewan McTeer to help us out with what on earth's going on at Barcelona, Ewan. I think this is going to be a conversation where I speak very little, uh, which, my, <laughs> which my wife would say are the best types. Um, so, you know, I mean, we're, we're all following Barcelona. It's one of the biggest clubs in the world, you know, and the, the, the signing players, they're not able to register. There's talk of leavers they find very confusing. Um, so, you know, in 10 to 12 minutes, tell us exactly what's going on. <laughs> it's been the summer, the story of the summer, hasn't it? Just, yeah. um, you know, half of the, the most interesting transfer stories of the summer have been Barcelona related, which we didn't think it would be because at the start of the summer, the 
the party line was there was no money. But then they came up with these levers, this word palanca in Spanish, which it doesn't, in Spanish, no one knows what it means either. It's, <laughs> you know, um, the, the translation to English of levers, it's it's a term that no one really uh, had heard of. It might be, might become like the word of the year. You know how they do that at the end of each year, they have yeah, the, the word yeah. of the year in Spanish and English too, maybe it might, might end up being the word of 20. Uh, 22 but basically it's Barcelona's way of of raising some funds is to sell off uh, some future assets some future income from TV and uh, uh, a percentage of Barca Studios which they set up a few years ago to uh, do match day content they've done a few documentaries with even uh, John Malkovich as the uh, narrator their own kind of all or nothing style stuff um, so they've sold a percentage of that and they can raise some some funds this way and this all counts as income which allows them to have some margin to sign in La Liga because I guess this is a thing maybe I should have said at first is that in La Liga is a bit different when it comes to registering these players. La Liga requires all the clubs to upfront outline their budget and show that they can afford the players they're signing. Otherwise, they just can't be registered. It's all done online. It's a case of computer says no. It's you put the player in, you put all the details and the button to click <laughs> you can take terms and conditions and the button will go red if you can click it um and barcelona need the certain amount of finance to be able to click and register these players so they're working hard to bring this money in but it's not mm. currently been successful there's been some dispute over over some of the funds that they've been raised there uh, whether it's whether it's new money whether it's existing money and and things like that and all yeah. the time, the, the the clock is ticking. Um, Liga starts tomorrow. Uh, well, Barcelona, Barcelona's yeah, league yeah. campaign starts tomorrow anyway. And so, you know, they haven't got a huge amount of time here to, to get it all sorted. No, exactly. It's interesting you say working hard because that is the debate you just sort of outlined is um, they're working hard, but they're not also not really working hard for this money because this is money that is... Uh, they're earning now for future work, for future income, for future Barca Studios productions. Um, this is them, you know, uh, basically uh, selling off all these assets for the future. And, and it's a huge, huge risk, a huge gamble. Uh, I don't think we've seen anything like this. Um, you know, clubs, of course, have to uh, spend some money to be successful. Every business needs to invest, you know. But this, we've never really seen anything quite like this with uh, uh, clubs selling off this much of future assets to be able to sign two or three players right in the here and now and you know they've signed Lewandowski, Kunde, Rafinha, all very good players but um, it's a debate of whether it's, it's worth doing, whether it's uh, even makes sense to sign these two or three players, all good players but um, some of them a bit older, some of them um, you know a bit inconsistent, is it really worth it? Um, but Joan Laporta's message throughout it has been that, that it is because Barcelona need to get back to the top to be able to re-establish themselves as as one of the best teams in the world to make that income. Um, so working hard is one one debate, but yeah, this Friday specifically, they are actually doing some work because uh, they do need to register their players ahead of the game against Rayo Vallecano uh, on Saturday night. And basically they could already register a few of the players, uh, but what Barcelona want to do is register them all at once because if you register Lewandowski first and then Rafinha, then Kunde, you're you're showing a sort of favoritism that's it's kind of just unnecessary and maybe leave someone out. Um, so I think they would like to just register them all at once if they can. And they'll look like they might do that on Friday because on Friday morning, it's an ongoing thing, on Friday morning, they've activated their fourth lever. We're losing count of levers, but they've activated the fourth one, um, selling a, a percentage of, of Barca Studios. So um, that should give them enough money to register the players that they have already. 
And then if they manage that, there's talk that they'll next week focus on bringing in more players. Bernardo Silva, uh, Marcus Alonso. Um, looks like they've still got uh, some work to do. More levers um, to more come. Levers. You mentioned there that you know there's some debate about whether this is the the, the right thing to do for, for for Barcelona football club. So forget about you know how they get around the league of rules and, and and whether it's sort of you know the, the the right way for you know or fair way for the football club to behave. But you know this debate about well actually is it is it is it good for Barcelona? I'm interested in whether is that a debate amongst the media or is it within the fan base as well or or, or both? And because I think sometimes we you know we you know we're all just guilty of seeing what we see on Twitter and and and, and supporters who are who would always sort of get behind transfers. But you know behind that and what you see, you're living out in Spain. You know, assumingly there are Barcelona fans who are like, hang on, are we are we gambling the uh, the future of the football club here on on some footballers who who might be good yeah. for two or three years? Absolutely. It's, you know, in Spain, these debates are usually very, very partisan. It's very, uh, you know, black and white, very well, very red and blue and white. It's yeah. the, the media, there's the Catalan media, there's the Madrid media. And whenever it comes to debate about something that Barcelona's doing or Real Madrid's doing, it's very easy. The Catalan media takes Barca's side, the Madrid media takes Real Madrid's side. But with this one, you've got two debates going on because even in the Catalan media, you do have the both sides of the ones who think this is great, that think this is what Barcelona need to do, that are happy that they're signing players again, that they're relevant. But then you do have a large, quite a large section of Barcelona fans who um, are quite upset, concerned, worried about this. They've seen uh, the financial situation from reckless management of the last administration, and they don't really see how this is all that different. They did have a referendum. Remember, Barcelona's a, a member's own club um, yeah. for now, still, uh, before they give away all sorts of assets. But member's own club, a member's run club, they had a referendum about uh, this sort of plan to activate some levers and make some money this way. That passed, but I think some people who maybe voted for it to pass didn't think it would be used quite in this way. Um, I think they gave the approval for one or two uh, asset sales, but I don't think they expected Laporta to take that approval and run with it. And now that's a question that's been had in the club too, is did the members really vote for, for it to be done this much to this extent? So yeah, you're right in the, in the Barcelona sphere between fans, media, uh, even there, there's some concerns about it. At the same time as there's people who love it because uh, transfers are, are nice shiny toys if they can register them and yeah, play with them. <laughs> yeah if you can get them on the pitch um, <laughs> I'm interested as well to get a bit um, of your insight into the reaction to certain players that they do have as well who have been seemingly sort of you know forced out the door fairly mm. aggressively and, and over here there was a bit of um, shock and you know surprise I guess that you know to see someone like uh, Braithwaite booed onto the pitch and, and you know someone who who was signed quite controversially as well you know if we sort of think yeah. back to that but, but someone who you know probably never thought he would be a Barcelona player suddenly is and that was to be told you know that that you have to sort of pack up and go you know there's the ongoing uh, Frankie de Jong situation where the poor lad just really doesn't want to play for Manchester United and who can blame him um, <laughs> so 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 that is a that is another side project sort of mm. side project side sort of story here isn't it this idea of well would it obviously help Barcelona if they could get rid of some of these players but some of these players especially the ones who've who've seemingly been, been been quite good to Barcelona in the past in terms of agreeing to the fair wages I don't know it just doesn't really sit right with me to be honest with you but is there something I'm missing and what is the general reaction out there? 
No, that's exactly it. It's um, you know I've even seen you know Frankie De Jong referred to as like the fifth lever because if they can get you know eighty so million for him, that's um, a really useful amount. But um, all that Barcelona's doing in these with these uh, trying to force you know Frankie De Jong out, Braithwaite out, all of this is technically legal above board. There's been I've seen Gary Neville tweeting at FIFA Pro to intervene. They're watching it closely. I know that, but. There's there's nothing really that Barcelona's doing right now that's that's wrong legally, but it's it's the question of uh, is it wrong morally, ethically? Because, like you say, not just that um, you're forcing players to uh, asking them to to rip up a contract that both parties agreed to. Um, some of these contracts, players like De Jong were very generous during the pandemic when uh, you know every club was struggling, and he agreed to defer wages. Um, you know. The, He's kind of uh, done his part, and now Barcelona's maybe going back on on that again, not not legally, but just in a, a sort of moral sense. So it's all it just doesn't really sit right. And again, even in the Catalan media, Barcelona fans, there's a few people don't uh, really agree with what's happening there. The boon of Braveweight, there was an incident outside training on, I think it was Tuesday, De Jong getting uh, booed and called all sorts of names as he came in. But then what you actually saw on Wednesday was even more Barcelona fans turned up outside the training uh, ground to cheer for De Jong and some chanting for him to stay. So um, all these things that go viral, the booing of Braithwaite, the, the players uh, swearing at De Jong at the entrance to training, these things go viral because they are the negative. And, and maybe yeah. sometimes we do need to remember that actually these are just a few uh, bad apples and a small percentage of the fan base that are, that are treating these players like this. The whistling thing in Spain is... <laughs> They love to whistle. It's a, it's a really big <laughs> thing in Spain. You know, I go to the Bernabeu most weeks and if they're not winning at halftime, it's whistles. They love to whistle. Um, Gareth Bale knows this all too well. But one of the things I've always said, especially with the Bale situations, is, you know, one whistle is as loud as 20, 20 people applauding. You know, it's um, it always uh, kind of stands out a little bit more. So there were some boos, some whistles for a brief wait at the Camp Nou, but I'm sure there's the vast majority, 90% plus of Barcelona fans are, are not um, those kind of ones who are, are targeting the players and being just quite frankly cruel about the fact that they want to stay in on our contract which the club themselves uh, gave to them yeah like car horns at a traffic jam uh, yeah, like yeah. i guess image yeah, yeah. as well <laughs> just just the sort of the, the, the noise that people do um just to sort of finish off you and you, you you mentioned before that you expect these registrations to go through today you think they've, they've pulled yeah. enough levers if you like to sort of get the money to, to to do it um and then more transfers to come next week and uh, is this something that you know to do Barcelona win in the end I guess is sort of what I'm asking because I could say well this has damaged their reputation like a very earnest uh, football uh, podcaster mm -hmm. but really what what uh, um, improves any football club's um, standing in world football is winning and if they if they go on to win trophies or, or at least have a good go uh, this season then I guess in the short term at least uh, the, the owner will say he's done his job yeah, exactly. It's it's like what is you're right. What is success from this summer? You know, is it if they win La Liga this year, win a Champions League in the next few years? Is that does that make it all okay uh, financially? Maybe not. I mean, the difference between winning La Liga, winning the Champions League, and having coming second or getting to the semis financially, the difference isn't all that different. But I think it's about trying to sell Barcelona as being back. 
But at the same time, I don't know, I just feel that maybe they have risked a little bit um, souring their reputation. And, and most importantly, with some players, if you're a player who might be the future De Jong, the future Braithwaite might want to go to Barcelona in the future, are you now second-guessing that club because you're not sure if in two or three years they're going to try and force you out? So um, they might have more money to sign players, but they might have uh, burned some bridges with certain agents, with certain uh, players, seeing what's going on there. And, and the whole Mexican club, you know, more than a club kind of slogan that they've had for uh, for years is, you know, some people will say that ended a long time ago. But um, with the players, you can see players like Lewandowski wanting to leave Bayern and go and join Barcelona. They still have a huge pool. Um, but the way they've maybe treated some players, uh, maybe they do risk uh, damaging that pool. And um, yeah, so what is the success financially, sporting terms, if they can sign players in the future? There's many ways we can measure it. Um, I guess that's uh, something that they'll put their, whatever spin needs to be put on it at the next uh, elections. Listen, we shall see. Uh, we shall see. Uh, in the short, uh, medium, and long term, whether this is a good idea yeah. for Barcelona or not. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to follow the story over the weekend, it is a breaking story. Would recommend you follow Ewan on Twitter. He is E McTeer on Twitter. If you want to give him a follow, we'll, we'll tag him uh, in the show as well. But Ewan, thanks so much for joining me today. And uh, let's let's go and have a look and see what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Cheers, John. Take Cheers. care. It's John Gibbons talking to you about football prizes. Now, football prizes is a fantastic opportunity to win yourself some brilliant LFC memorabilia online. And to do so, uh, you need to go to footballprizes.co.uk. And this week's is a fantastic Jürgen Klopp signed shirt. So there's a Jürgen Klopp signed shirt. It is mounted. It's, it looks really nice in a frame. They've done a really good job at it. It's a custom framed uh, Liverpool shirt signed by Jürgen Klopp. And yeah, it looks really good. They've also got seven instant win prizes. So how that works is you get a ticket number when you buy it and if you get one if that's assigned to one of the seven prizes you can win some fantastic stuff along there as well including a Liverpool home or away shirt a Trent Alexander-Arnold signed Liverpool montages or also some football pr prizes vouchers as well for future use um, so they're all available as well tickets cost just £3.95 and there's only 199 available so that gives you a better than 1 in 200 chance of winning it which is pretty good now half the, the tickets have gone already so you need to be quick they've sold 101 and there is 199 uh, available so you do need uh, to be quick but if you do manage to get one as i say you've got a really good chance of winning that fantastic prize or one of those seven instant wins as well so tickets are 395 and if you want one i will get along to footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash clop hyphen IW. Uh, we'll do that one again. Uh, footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash club hyphen IW. Or if you just go to the football prizes website, uh, you'll be able to find it uh, easy enough on there. Uh, good luck. Uh, we've had some good winners uh, from Anfield Rap subscribers. Uh, do let me know if you do win because I'm always made up for you. Uh, but yeah, do let us know if you win. Uh, best of luck. You've got till Monday. The draw is Monday night. Uh, all the best. Thanks a lot to Football Prizes for partnering us again. And it is John Gibbons for Tour Live. I'm joined over Zoom now by Paul Gorst. And me and Paul uh, do a bit, a bit of a video show called Talking Transfers uh, in the Transfer Windows. And we were going to do one this week, but weren't able to. So I thought, I'll get him on Tour Live. I'll do a little bit of a chat after the press conference on Friday. Give you a little hint of the fun me and Paul have uh, for video subscribers um, on an ongoing basis. So Paul, first of all, thanks for joining us. No worries. Always good to be on. 
So, what did he make of Jürgen, first of all, then? How he, he's, he, he's funny in these press conferences, isn't he? He can be a bit prickly. I thought he was going to batter the person who asked him about your, 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 um, your best um, Premier League memory, but then, he actually yeah. gave a, but then he actually gave a really nice answer in the end, which was sort of quite funny. It is, it is a rollercoaster of these things for you journalists, isn't it? It is, yeah. You, you have to phrase things a certain way, and sometimes if you try and squeeze in, you know, two questions in one, you'll only get an answer to the second part of your question. So your first part's a bit redundant. So there, there is a kind of feeling out process when you when you're asking club questions. You can't just go up to them and say, "Look, look, lad, what's happening with Bellingham?" Because it's, that's just not the way it works. Um, but yeah, he, um, I'm trying to remember who it was who asked that question. I've got the favourite Premier League moments. Um, from Premier League Productions, wasn't it? Um, and he did give an nice answer, didn't he? he? said, I mean, obviously winning it two years ago was the was the big moment, but it was when William scored the penalty and I think yeah. they were all in, was it 4B Hall, was it? Or yeah, like yeah, all the, the golf, one of the golf club, clubs yeah. up there, I think, yeah. So I think yeah. that was a special night for them all because they all ended up bladdered, I think, you know, party <laughs> at the ball house, so uh, that was the moment that kicked it all off, I think, yeah. Yeah, so in terms of the, the, the match stuff, it's specifically... You know, before we get on to, to transfers, you know, you talked a little bit, obviously, the Fulham game. And I mean, it's a hard one to look forward to, really, for all of us, isn't it, Palace? Because it feels so long ago, Monday, but the press conferences are on a Friday. That's when they're, you know, congrats, con- contractually obliged to do them. That was easy for me to say. Um, so it's a little bit away, but, you know, in terms of availability, confirmed that the kite is back, which is good. Uh, Chimika's training, you know, which, you know, you wouldn't expect him to start, but nice to have the availability. So a few more midfield options anyway, which is which is most uh, most welcome at the moment. Yeah, uh, someone asked, um, yeah, about is it time for Elliot? Or, I mean, they didn't actually mention the players, but it was basically, is it time for Elliot? and or Cater to step up in, in Thiago's absence. And he never really threw down the gauntlet to, to someone to kind of grasp an nettle and come and make themselves a first team for the next four to six weeks. But you'd imagine that it's, it's got to be there in front of these players, haven't it? When, when you know that Thiago, is, if he's fit, he's playing, and now he's not fit for the next month at least. It's a big opportunity, isn't it, for the likes of Cater and, and Elliot, who will be absolutely flying coming off his new contract yesterday. And uh, I think it's a it's a big chance for Caters. I mean, it feels like we've it's Groundhog Day with Naby Caters because we all know he's a talent, but we all know yeah. the injuries, and we all know he probably hasn't quite met the expectations that we all had when he joined for fifty million over four years ago. Now, but um, for the next few weeks, I think perhaps he is the one who's most um, likely to kind of step out of the shadows almost and and lay down a mark and say, look, I'm in this team now, and Thiago's fit or not, you know, you can't take me out of this team because I've been so good. So it's a big opportunity for him. I think, you know, I hope Klopp loves Elliot. I think it might be a, a chance for him at certain points as well. I thought he was quite good when he came off the bench against Fulham. He put that ball in for Salah, didn't he, for, yeah. for the equaliser for Nunes. Um, so I think out of, I mean, there's not that many options left, to be honest, but out of the, the midfield, I think it's those two who have um, got to see this as a big opportunity and probably more so Cater given us, you know, level of seniority and probably the fact that he's into the last year of his contract as well actually yeah absolutely absolutely it feels like sort of almost now or never for the, for this little career for Naby but we shall see hopefully you know for him he's in the team Monday night and hopefully he's ready to go and you know a real big midfield performance from someone be it be a Kiter or, or Elliot or even one of the guys like like Henderson or Fabina who who started on, on, at the weekend but 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 were far from the best 
you know, I guess would would go some way to to quiet these these midfield transfer rumours. I mean, not completely silent, of course, because you know the the, the internet and, and, and the fan bases now generally are, are, are obsessed with transfers, but. It was the first question he was asked, which I thought was quite telling, is are you going into the market? It's sort of what everyone wants to know, and I'm sure he was expecting it. Yeah, he will have been. Um, that, that question came from Sky, and obviously the big kind of modus operandi is the transfer, and there was no Alice open, so no surprise to hear that that was getting put to him. It was a similar question to the one last week, really, and that was before Thiago pulled up lame. So you'd expect it to happen. And to be honest, he was a little bit more... Um, forthcoming with talk of, of the transfers wasn't he he said that there, is, there are a few solutions for it one of them is a new player you bring him in and another one is, is the options within the squad I think the way Klopp sees it is um, he, he probably he probably thinks people are asking him why don't you bring the player in because you've got injuries you know and he's thinking in you know four or six weeks time when Thiago's back on the team you're left with a midfielder that you've no real use for but I think on the flip side of that, a lot of people are just thinking, do you want a midfielder? Um, do you think Liverpool needed a midfielder anyway prior to, to these injuries? So maybe strike while the iron's hot or, or where there's the greatest need for it right now? Um, I'm not sure, but uh, he said the need, we're not stubborn. We're not, and yeah. I think he said, said last week, we're not blind to the market. We do see and we, and we don't think that there's nothing out there that can improve us. But um, I was making a point Yesterday on one of our podcasts on the Echo, um, I think you know as as a football watcher, you can tell when a forward's good. You know, something to do something that takes you off on the edge of your feet, and you know when a when a striker's good, don't you? Regardless yeah. of system, tactics or anything like that, you just know when a, a forward player is good. And also with defenders, because you know if they're big and they're strong and they're quick and they win headers and they put tackles in, you know what a good defender looks like as well. But I think with the midfielder. Certainly Liverpool's midfield in their system, they're looking for very specific things um, that shows up in, in the data analysis and all that kind of stuff. And There's probably not loads of, of midfielders who can kind of fill, fill that, that gap because it's a very specific way of playing, isn't it? They're not overly reliant on creativity from midfield. It's, a, it's about working hard, covering yards, pressing, filling, filling in for gaps when the likes of Robertson and, and Alexander-Arnold are going forward. So, it's a very specific way of playing in Liverpool's midfield and that may be something that they're looking at thinking, well, we can't just get anyone. It's got to be someone who meets certain criteria because otherwise they're not going to be a good fit. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that on the on the, on the drive-in this morning thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd watched the press conference at home where they drove in and I was thinking, even if they bought someone... You know, I mean, people are uh, obviously getting excited about uh, Matthias Nunes, one that's sort of being linked to, you know, Bravella. Even if they got someone in and they were of a very high quality... You know, then it'd be like, oh, let's see him start, which is very unlikely, isn't it? Because as you say, that Liverpool plays such a specific system and we ask such specific demands and our, our, our game, you know, both on and off the ball is all about, you know, working together and, and fluidity and, and, and stuff like that. He's Even if they did get someone in, it, it'd be fairly unlikely we'd see much of them for a month or so anyway, while he sort of, you know, got up to grips with, with, with how Liverpool want to play. Yeah, definitely. It's all about play. You know, if you can fit that system, um, you know, I don't think it's too much of a secret that Liverpool were were offered kind of Bruno Fernandes before he went to Manchester United, and Liverpool looked at him and they could recognise that he was a talented player, but he's probably best as a number ten. And Liverpool didn't play with one, and plus the the money that 
Sporting wanted for him, they just decided that it wasn't worth it. And I, and I think that might be a case with a lot of players. I don't know much about um, the links to, to Barella. I'm not sure whether that's just social media wanting them, to be honest. But I think the Nunes stuff has come from, from Portugal, hasn't it? Is it Courier de Manor or some, something along those lines? I think they shortened it to, to CM Journal, so the likes of me aren't butchering the pronunciation. But it seems as though Wolves are, are kind of in the driving seat reading um, the... From the Portuguese media, I don't think he's someone who Liverpool are particularly looking at. But I do certainly think that you know that the right side of that of that midfield three is something that probably can be improved upon. I mean, we know Jordan Henderson's been been brilliant for Liverpool, but you know at a certain point there will be a, a conversation to be had about whether that side of the pitch can be improved upon. I mean, know Elliot started there at the beginning of last season, didn't he? And I think he himself would probably see himself as the, as the long-term kind of occupant of that space. Um, so maybe he is, maybe he comes offline as a fantastic season that he was primed to have last season before yeah. that injury and it almost doesn't become a conversation anymore. But um, at the moment, it certainly is a big one, isn't it? So I think both of us, you know, if you were to ask us now, you know, to put your money on a transfer or not, we'd, we'd probably say that they'll stick with what they've got. But... You never know. And, you know, Liverpool have surprised us both <laughs> before with, with sort of, you know, late moves and things like that. And so what do you think is it that that might, you know, because there is, a, I guess there's a, there's a small percentage as well, small percentage chance of what I'm saying that Liverpool are by someone, you know, less than 50, but, but certainly higher than zero. So what do you think it would be that would, that would force them to go, not necessarily force them, but encourage them to go, yeah, do you know what, we're going to get a midfielder between now and the end of August. Do you think it would be, you know, another injury? Do you think someone like Henderson going down on Monday? Do you think it would be the idea of someone who they didn't think was available, suddenly, you know, they get, you know, the, uh, the selling club feels like they need a bit of money in, so so, yeah. so so get a bit of encouragement that way. You know, what, what do you think it would be that would actually go for Liverpool? You know, we, we, we thought we were done, but okay, let's go back in. Yeah, I think it's probably external factors more than, than internal. We know unless there's an absolute crisis that um, Liverpool aren't going to be overly concerned. We've seen it, you know, 18 months ago. They mean Liverpool literally had no senior defenders and they still tried to plod on as best they could with, with Reese Williams and, and Matt Phillips and Fabinho and Jordan Henderson at times. And, you know, I think the entire fan base were banging their heads against the wall when they demanded a centre-back and Liverpool still kept the power of the drive for as long as they could. So I think it'll take something absolutely shocking for um for Liverpool to move for a midfielder kind of within the camp. But as you say, I think um, you know, if something changes externally, which does happen, Liverpool had no plans to go for Lewis Diaz the day in January before Tottenham made their move. Maybe the kind of availability of um of someone else who they, they have got their eye on for the long term project. You know, the, the, there's an opportunity that comes up where they can get him for you know a, a decent fee this window, I think that's probably the most likely scenario of Liverpool going into the market. But um, I, I'm still you know pretty confident that they won't be doing that. But um, we'll see. You know, with external factors, we, we, we've got no real kind of insights into them, have we? So um, I suppose while it's open, there's always that prospect that um, they can make a uh, make a splash. <laughs> 
or myself and Paul will be following it. Uh, both, um, you know, Paul probably closer than me, uh, to be honest with you. And I'll just be asking him. Uh, but we'll <laughs> see uh, what happens uh, between um, now and the end of August. Obviously, there's a few that might be leaving uh, Liverpool as well. So we'll hopefully, uh, well, we will get it, Paul, in uh, between now and the end of the transfer window. So if you've enjoyed that, uh, make sure you should download the app, subscribe it, uh, to the app, up to our video service for talking transfers with me and Paul Ghost. Uh, but thanks to Paul in the meantime. And now back to the show. Went the good, Ewan and Paul there, an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you very much to John as well for doing that. Steve Palace then, last season, they were a lot of fun. Uh, Vieira was inherently likeable. They were even fun, I felt, uh, against Arsenal, the first Premier League game of the season. Took time out to watch it, enjoyed watching it. But it is worth saying, they started exceptionally slowly against Arsenal, which was something they did a lot last season. And, you know, if, if there ever is a game where you'd like to see Anfield up for it, but also the players come out and come out quick, they could get a lot of change out of Crystal Palace from what I saw in the first half an hour against Arsenal. Let's hope so, yeah. I expect us to, I expect us to be bang up for, especially after the, the kind of dressing down publicly that, that Jürgen gave the squad, really. Um, you know, it's not very often he does that, and question attitude is, is not something that he does very often. So I expect us to be bang up for it. I mean, Palace last season, but did he play some decent stuff? What I remember, but he just drew a couple of games here and there where he should have won it. It took him a while to get going, but once he did get going into the stride, he played some really good stuff. Yeah. They didn't look too dissimilar last season. Obviously, they lost Conor Gallagher, who was a bit of a driving force for them from midfield last season, who's kind of pivotal to what they, they did, really. He, he led, led a decent press for them and, and you know, contributed a lot of goals and assists and uh, played really well. So he'll be a loss for them, but they have a really young squad. Um, Patrick Vieira, yeah, I, I like him as a manager. He comes across really well. Bit of a, bit, still got a bit of snide about him, which, which I love. Um, and I can see that in his, t- in his team as well, really. So... Um, hopefully Saturday, uh, sorry Monday. Yeah, I wish it was Saturday. Hopefully Monday we can, uh, you know, we can find out the blocks and we catch them a bit cold again. Because I thought, uh, as you said, I thought they were a little bit, little bit back-footed uh, against Arsenal really, and, and made Arsenal look pretty good in that first half an hour. But then they grew into the game and caused some real problems. So uh, hopefully we can uh, put the game to bed early on, uh, on Monday night. It's nothing new them starting slow, Dan. Uh, over the course of the sea, of the course of the calendar year, the expected goals against for them is eighteen point five. Eleven point one of them uh, has come in the first half. Just to extrapolate that out and explain it, you know, most most games start cagey and open up as they wear on. So Newcastle, for instance, are in total twenty one point eight expected goals over the same period, but only eight point seven in the first half. Brighton twenty four point five expected goals against in the same period, only ten point five in the first half. But it's worse than that for Palace when I looked at the numbers. Of good chances they've given away, XG chances rated at better than 0.2. Uh, set they've given away 22 this calendar year in the Premier League. Uh, tw- 17 of them have come in the first half and only five in the second half. That really is a side that it's not starting quickly under any stretch of the imagination. You saw the same thing against Arsenal. You know, I, d- I don't think the preseason quite as smoothly as they'd like. If there ever was a game for Liverpool to get in amongst them and to have a really strong shout early in that match, it is this one. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think just touching on press conference, I, I've just had a little look back at Vieira's from today, uh, and you know, it's, if you want to look at it, it's very negative in terms of a game plan point of view. If you were a Palace fan looking at it, or indeed any fan looking at it, you would say that he's definitely going to set up a team to come here and defend. It. I, mean, I think he uses the word defend more than once. He uses the game against City last year, the the win they had against them as a blueprint, but he basically says that you know. It's about organisation, about being disciplined, going to Anfield and defending for 90 minutes will be tough, he says. So he's almost preempting that as a game plan for him. And I think, you know, I think in in large part because of him, they overperformed last season. 
Um, and I think they were really astute with getting the likes of Gallagher in. Um, but I think I think they they aren't as um, I don't think they have as, as much tactical versatility as they did last season. I think I thought it was interesting they played what was a variant of a four-two-three-one against Arsenal. Um, whereas I think what worked back best for them last season was then when they were looking at a lot more like a four-three-three. Um, and you know, you think you, you think about that game against us last year. They played really well for an hour, and Benteke plays really well for an hour at Anfield. Um, in that game, particularly, you know, he has a really, has a really good first half, and they cause us some problems until we get the breakthrough. So, I, you know, I think if if we're taking what they did against Arsenal um, in terms of how they set up as as something to go off for us, I think Liverpool can really get at them. In central areas, you know, I don't, I don't think it'll be like Fulham in that sense. I, I don't think there'll be a ton of confidence in themselves in in having Decore and Schlupp playing as you two. Um, I think, I think Schlupp, you know, he's, he's almost a converted winger, isn't he? I think he has yeah. tendencies that he can he can go missing from those particular areas, and he can be exploited in those particular areas. I think they can be pulled pulled apart in the way that we do. I think it, it's more about how we start the game, and I think we'll have a point to prove in that. You know, I think. I think the manager now is, again, given everything we spoke about, he's aware of it. He'll know the team have got have got to start quick. It's Anfield, it's the first home game of the season. Um, there's a ton of variables. But I think that there's the added, there's the added Philip in there that if, if Liverpool do start quick, then there's every chance they'll get more results from it, um, given the Palace look to be a little slower. Um it's come through last sort of hour or so, Sean. Uh, Matt sat out the back end of training. It was one anyway. I mean, I had it already on, on the agenda I sent you earlier today, Gomez or Matt. But I, I felt I, I was up for him starting Gomez, to be quite honest with you, because of the way they like to play that big switch from right to left. That it isn't just Anderson that does, though Anderson does do it best, looking to get that ball over the top. I felt as though Gomez might well be better suited to that from a Liverpool point of view anyway. So it's not the end of the world if Matt has got to be missed this one out as a precaution. Uh, but the last thing we could do with is another injury, obviously. Completely, and we obviously don't know any severity on that. Could just be, as you say, precaution. I would have gone Gomez anyway, not just for Palace. I think it would. I'd want to, if I was in Klopp's shoes, I'd want to know exactly what Nick Gomez is in ahead of United. If you could, if if you could guarantee that Gomez was in good Nick and form, um, I'd probably start him at United. Um, it, you know, across the pitch, I think Gomez as well for the moving of the ball and stuff as well. Matt does it in a different way. But I think Gomez is underrated in the in the speed of which and quality that he can bring the, the ball out from the back with more so with his passing than carrying it, like Matt said. Um I, I think if, if if I was yeah, again, I'd be looking to send a message out with my team selection though. Um not just about starting fast, but also in terms of just the wider squad culture as well. Um it was interesting in his press conference that he did reference that, you know, all the players have to bring the best. It's not about, you know someone nicking someone's shirt or someone losing the shirt. For me, you have to start Milner and Elliot. Um, I think Milner and Elliot bring complete enthusiasm intent. Would you start yeah. would you start Milner? I still think Milner from the bench I would start Elliot, but Milner from the bench is the way I'd be thinking still. And I understand I understand the argument. Would you go for Milner in this one then? Yeah, yeah, I would go Henderson Milner. Um I would go Henderson, Milner, Elliot, and then obviously, obviously, you just have to delete every social media app for the rest of the week. Um, but I, I would go Henderson, Milner, Elliot because I think they bring the intensity that you want. They finish the game against Fulham really well with this bigger gap. Rhythm's hard enough anyway. It sends a message out to the dressing room that if you come off the bench and deliver and play well and help us out when 
we need digging a result out and you do it, there's a chance that you get back in. There's a bit more carrot for the squad in that sense. I think Kaita, I'd rather bring him off the bench and play his way in. I'd rather Fabinho come on and shut the game down when legs start to tire. Um, so they would be my, my first two like go-to subs. But I, I'd want Liverpool right at it from the off. And I think Elliot and Milner, maybe for different reasons, you can't be certain on the quality of what they bring. But you can guarantee that that is the most intense midfield that would, could start fast. And I don't think Palace will be able to live with that intensity. And then you've got the technical quality of Fabinho and Kaiser and potentially Carvalho to bring on later in the game if you need it, and to take advantage of that slow start in Palace. I just think you want that pace and intensity. And, and for me, I, I think there's also a meritocracy element to this that maybe they deserve to start as well. Okay. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about that? In my head, I'm all right with Fabinho, Kaiser and Elliot. I would just be starting Elliot first and foremost. I think it's time for that to happen. I can see the argument for Henderson in terms of firstly and being able to cover to the right a little bit more. Secondly, and moving the ball a little bit quicker. Uh, but this one, maybe I will go with Fabinho. Uh, I think they'll feel like Kaiser's quite as close to this. What do you, firstly, what would you do? And, and what do you think that they'll do? Um, I've, I've toed and thrown to be honest. Yeah, I, I think I think I'd start with Fabinho back there. I think I think he'll want to. He doesn't usually have two bad games in the bounce, um, and, he, and I think he's he'll want to come out. He had a full a full ten days really now to, to sort of find some more juice in his legs, and um, I think I'd start him there. I'd like to, obviously. I think Javier is going to start, and then obviously if that means he starts in the right of midfield, then Jordan Henderson doesn't usually fit in as well on that left front left hand side really. So. Um, I think it'll be one of Milner or Keita's most with you, but I think I think Fabinho definitely comes in uh, again. Um, and I think obviously hardly ever. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards Milner. I think Milner, as, as Sean said, you know, if you're going on earning your place in the side, I think he's shown enough in the uh, in the last game. I think he really does. Uh, he looks sharp. He looks fit. And in uh, you know, even if he's got a shelf life of just an hour in, in that game, I think he's going to, as, as Sean said, bring an intensity and. Uh, a good pace to the game that that will uh, will hopefully give us the fast start that we spoke about before. Uh, in attack, what would you do, Steve? Because I think that there's there's obvious obvious reasons to to look at Darwin at this point. You know, his, his record looks great. The manager though praises for be Firmino, sorry today um, in there as well. Diaz, I thought had a good first half against Fulham. Second half, maybe not quite as much. What do what would you do? And again, what do you think he'd do? I mean, I thought I thought his, his praise of Firmino was a little bit shot. I mean, we said we didn't try and find him enough, but I thought the times that we did find him, his distribution, his, his ball retention was pretty poor. Um, you know, but then he was he was just you know, one of many that day. It was it was pretty poor against Fulham, as, as I said before. So for me, I, I think I think you've got to start now. Nunes for me now. I think he's he's causing all kinds of problems for every defensive defense he comes up against. Different types of defenses, different types of setups. So. For me, if, if we're speaking again about fast starts and wanted to compare not the blocks and cause them all kinds of problems and possibly put the game to bed as early as possible, uh, then for me, Darwin comes in at the front with, uh, with, with Diaz and Moe either side of him, I think. So uh, that's, that's the three I think I think he'll play. I think that's, that's, that's the thing I'd like to see him play anyway. Um, what would you like to see him do there, Sean, in attack? Would you like him to to go with, uh, as Steve says, what, what I think people would, would want to see him uh, do at this point? Or do you think there is a chance, given the fact that he'll want to smother Palace, that it might not be that three? I think it will be that three because I um I think again similar to Gomez in a way I think he'd want to see what Nunes is like starting one look he, he'll want to win against Palace let's let's be clear but I do think it would be Andy to get an idea of where Nunes is with an Man United and um, because if he has any doubts whatsoever about fitting in more so tactically I'm not talking about his threat going forwards 
I'm only I think they want to see how he's fitting in tactically with things because I wouldn't surprise any of us, I don't think, if he goes he could hypothetically play the same team against United that he played last year. Um, with the exception yep. of Jota being injured, he, he goes Bobby and Mo that day. Then the midfield is Kite and Milner Henderson. Um, Milner goes off early though for Jones. Yeah, if it was the same sort of structure at United, you'd maybe make an argument that you go with that again, different manager and things. Maybe you'll have second half. But in terms of this, I think you have to start Nunes and then take a view. You know, in the in the gap you've got where that leaves you afterwards. Um, and then you've got Bobby off the bench. Obviously, you've got Carvalho off the bench. We haven't seen it yet. We've always got the option. If they think Nunes has only got 60 in him, they've always got the option of moving Salah central. Um, I, I suspect that their go-to thing would be either Elliot right or maybe Diaz right. We see Diaz do a bit of that at Villa away. He's much more effective drifting in off the left-hand side, of course. But it is an option for them to move in right and play Carvalho off the left if they start with Elliot and feel that they might only have 60, 70 out of him as well. Do you see that, Dan? Do you see the idea that they may well start with Darwin uh, and then look to look to rejig it? Or do you think that Firmino might get the home start? Yeah, no, I, I see Nunes start and I think he's, he's knocked on the door too much um, for him not to now. And I think I've got a feeling Henderson doesn't start this one. I think, you know, I think where he will be a little bit cautious, despite all the midfield chat, is that he knows Henderson can play both six and eight. So I think he'll be one that he, he won't want to take too many risks with. If he, if he gets, if he's the next one to sort of Full file of a, of a four to six week knock and layoff. Then I think, I think that will be a little bit weird internally. They are starting to starting to sort of hit hit a bit of panic stations because, you know, I think I think there's there's going to be a plan this season for Henderson through a lot of six. So I think I, I think Nunes will start instead of for uh, Firmino. I think it'll be Fabinho, and I I would I'm with Sean. I'd go I'd go Milner and Elliot as well uh, either side of Fabinho for this, um, and I think. You know, I think they're just not not a real sort of point to take as a as a comparative. But I just had a little look at Burnley last season. Obviously, it's it's quite similar if you drop Elliot in there. But also, you know, we bring Thiago and Firmino on uh, around yeah. sixty seventy in in that game, and there's just there's just tons of control then from there on in. So, you know, I think controlling games and and sort of winning games from from 60 on is is what Liverpool need to do. But I think they need to do it a little bit differently. I think it needs to be from a point of have already been fully in control of that game. So I think I think Henderson from the bench makes a lot of sense for me for this one in terms of coming on and giving impetus either six or eight last 30. Okay. Uh, Dan, do you think we're going to win the game? Yeah, I do. I do. I think, but, you know, you ask me for a prediction, I'll just go for a very comfortable 2-0. Sean? Yes, Elliot Bangs, first goal. Marvellous. Love it. Love the big shout, Steve. Yeah, I'm expecting a good response after after a pretty disappointing performance and result from last week. So I'm going three 0 Excellent stuff indeed. Liverpool shaping up against Crystal Palace. It is Monday night. Download the Anfield Wrap app. Everything you need in terms of build-up beyond this show. Everything that you need for the full weekend as well in the Premier League. Wonderful Friday show done yesterday. Really, really enjoyed it. Everything that you want. If you download that app, you'll be able to see it all there. You'll be able to see all the build-up. You'll also be able to look ahead to Monday. There'll be Sunday best on Sunday too. Monday itself. Loads of post-match stuff. I can't wait to be back at Anfield for all the nonsense around transfers, for all the top Reds nonsense, for all of that bollocks. The whole thing only works if we all stand together. See you later.